Hi, everybody. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. with Prophecy Today. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic words. I'm up here in Franklin, New Hampshire this weekend at Hope Community Church as I am teaching the book of Joel. The book of Joel is about the day of the Lord. And Rick, as we are studying about the day of the Lord, it does seem that we're getting closer to that event when the day of the Lord begins. That's true, Jimmy, and we know that because we are looking at current events and uh, we're picking out stories and we're talking to our broadcasters about these stories. And Jimmy, I know the answer to this, but can you explain to our listeners why specifically we choose certain stories to share with you on Prophecy Today Radio? Yes. You know, all the stories we pick, and I want to remind folks, we just don't pick these uh, out of the what's happening, uh, of the myriad of stories that are happening each week in the news. We understand that one-third of God's Word is a, uh, that's about prophecy helps us to pick the stories. We pick those that are leading to events that will happen after the rapture of the church. And Rick, as we do that, uh, that helps us clearly when we understand the leaders of the world, why they're doing what they're doing, why we understand why countries, why nations are moving into place, we always say it's kind of like the chess pieces are being moved around on the board mm. and the mm -hmm. stage is being set for that curtain to go up. Well, we need to get ready and uh, let's get to our first broadcast partner because Ken Timmerman has a lot to share with us this week about what's taking place geopolitically. Ken Timmerman joins us. He's our regular expert on geopolitical affairs. He joins us just about every week, and we certainly do have a lot to talk about this week. So thank you for joining us, Ken. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Rick. Thank you for having me. Well, Ken, we'll start off again this week, where we start off most weeks, and the situation in between Russia and Ukraine. The, the first part of that uh, situation that I'd, I'd like to cover is Ukraine's request to enter the European Union and where that stands. Well, right now it's in abeyance. Uh, Macron, who was just reelected in France, uh, is now uh, he has the rotating presidency of the European Union. And he has come out and said, well, I think uh, this could take several decades for Ukraine to join the European Union uh, because they're not on the same economic level as the rest of Europe. They're not on the same level when it comes to governance, to transparency, uh, when it comes to safeguards against corruption. Remember, before this war started, Ukraine was considered the third most corrupt country in the world even ahead of Russia. So Macron is looking at that, at the macro picture, if you wish, and he's saying, you know, we need many, many, many years before Ukraine is ready to join with us. There are others in the EU, however, including the current EU uh, president, who would like to bring Ukraine in much, much quicker. So this is going to be not so much a test of Ukraine and its worthiness or its virtue, uh, as, uh, in, in relationship to the EU, as it is going to be a, a test of Macron's power and influence. And right now, I, I'd have to tell you that I think Macron probably is going to win that piece of the battle. Well, it's certainly a shifting dynamic there in Europe. And let's look at NATO. That's another multi-government organization. And now they are looking, and many think that NATO was at the heart of Russia's aggression in Ukraine. But now we're looking at Sweden and Finland possibly joining NATO. Yeah, irony is, is, is something, isn't it? It, uh, it? When it comes back and bites you, it can be powerful. And I think Putin is getting bit by 
irony here in the real world. He claimed that NATO expansion was his reason for invading Ukraine. He did not want to have a uh, the NATO borders uh, right up against Russia. Uh, he already had that with, uh, you know, uh, Poland was up against uh, Belarus. And so they were marching closer and closer uh, to his borders. He had that with the Baltic republics against Kaliningrad. But now if Ukraine had joined NATO was his argument, uh, then you have a massive border between with, with Russia directly with NATO. And he had to avoid that at all costs. Well, guess what? Now, with Sweden and Finland, Finland, which is also directly on Russia's border, uh, Sweden, which has been neutral uh, throughout the Cold War, they are now threatening to join NATO. So he's getting exactly the future he was trying to avoid and on steroids. So this is going to be a big problem for Putin going forward. Uh, it, it is going to vitiate his entire reasoning, his entire logic, his strategy for invading Ukraine. And uh, my big question is not so much what is he going to do towards NATO, but what are his generals and intelligence leaders going to do towards him? Well, then to that end, I'd just like to, and maybe this is a little bit premature, but I would like to know, is there an end in sight to this crisis? How could possibly this Ukraine war end? It's gone badly from the start. None of the Russian expectations uh, have panned out on the battlefield. They thought they were going to take Kiev, right? In, in two to three days, they didn't. And even now, they're getting chewed up in the Donbass. Uh, we had uh, reports on Friday that a uh, Russian attempt to cross a key river into the Donbass to bring reinforcements in there with uh, armored vehicles, tanks, that they've been, that, that the Ukrainians managed to blow up two of their pontoon bridges. They may now be in the process of constructing a third, but who knows how long that one's going to last either. They are getting really, really battered, badly, badly battered on the, the battlefield. And here's the thing, Rick, what, what's so bizarre about this, that the, the Russians are using the same tactics that they used in World War II. They're using the same tactics that they taught Saddam Hussein in 1980 when he invaded Iran. Open a 300-mile front. Open a 1,000-mile-long front. Don't fight a a strategic battle um, uh, in one location to gain a foothold in the enemy's territory, but open up this enormous front and march forward inch by bloody inch. Well, they failed in all of that. They failed to do that. They do not at this, this they, they, they don't even control Mariupol, uh, which they have been trying to take for the past two and a half months. They've been kicked back out of Kharkiv up in the northeastern part of the country. And as I said, they're armored uh, columns are being battered by the Ukrainians again uh, as they try to bring reinforcements into the Donbass. Look, the only way the Russians are going to solve this, because it's pretty clear by now, uh, they're not going to be able to batter Ukraine into submission because the Ukrainians have risen up. And I think their morale is now higher than it was two and a half months ago, than a month ago. Uh, the only way the Russians are going to get out of this is by negotiations. And I don't see Putin yet ready to negotiate. 
Well, certainly a situation worth keeping an eye on, and we definitely have been doing that. But while we are focusing on Europe and Ukraine and Russia, there's still a lot going on in the Middle East. And one of the biggest things that's taking place right now is they are still negotiating. The Biden administration is still negotiating with Iran uh, to restart the nuclear deal. And uh, this could be dangerous. I've seen some reports that this could start basically a domino effect, a nuclear arms race in the Middle East. There's no doubt about that. The Saudis have made very clear in discussions with the United States when they were still talking to us that uh, should Iran be allowed to continue its nuclear weapons program, uh, the Saudis would go nuclear as soon as they possibly could. And given their money and their access to technology, it could be a matter of months, not years, if the Saudis launched a nuclear weapons program. Uh, The same way, by the way, that uh, South Korea many, many years ago, decades ago, and Japan decades ago, at one point, threatened to go nuclear. And I can remember uh, years ago when a uh, U.S. reporter asked a top Japanese defense official uh, if it was true that it would take Japan six months to get a bomb. And he turned around quizzically and said, that long, you think? So Hmm. the Saudis really would have access to uh, the best technology and would become nuclear very, very quickly. Turkey as well would be um, uh, certainly tempted in that direction, as would Egypt. So, Rick, you have an entire region that essentially would seek nuclear weapons if the Iranians were allowed to continue with their program. So it would be catastrophic. Well, speaking of a nuclear buildup, we do know also that China right now is is accelerating their nuclear arsenal. And this is in the face of a Biden administration that looks to be spending less on defense. Well, we are spending a lot less on defense. And, you know, this is a subject that your dad and I spoke spoke about uh, uh, before he died. The uh, estimates of Chinese nuclear weapons have always been in the hundreds. Um, the U.S. does a an occasional publication called Chinese Military Power, just as we did one on Soviet military power in the Cold War. And for decades, it was stuck at 200. The Chinese have 200 nuclear weapons. Well, all of a sudden... In 2020, uh, they did a new assessment and said, well, now it looks like they're building more and they could have 700 by the end of the decade. And just this past November, yet another new assessment said, no, they're building even faster than that. They're going to have a thousand, five times what we previously thought by the year 2030. Now, what does it mean? It means that China will have an arsenal, basically one half of our uh, strategic arsenal, one half of the Russian strategic arsenal. It means they are all of a sudden uh, a huge nuclear weapons power. They are they have a larger arsenal than Britain or France, and uh, we are not prepared for that. Our strategic doctrine has not taken that into consideration. And by the way, we've seen these uh, warning signs of this Chinese nuclear weapons build up for many, many years. I've been following this for close to a decade. There's been a massive, barely secret buildup of underground facilities in China uh, that are in the areas where they're developing nuclear weapons. There have been storage bunkers for nuclear-tipped missiles, and we've seen these things developing for over a decade. So uh, really, it's, it's about time that the Pentagon woke up. I'd like to see that we have some military leaders who really take this into account and start to plan for China as a serious strategic nuclear weapons threat. 
Well, long-term listeners of this program and listeners to your interviews on this program realize that China is a serious threat and we need to pay attention. Well, we have been uh, around the world here in Russia, Ukraine, we've been in Europe, we've been in the Middle East, and also China as well. So, Ken, thank you for your geopolitical viewpoint and thank you for informing our listeners and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Rick, it's always my pleasure. God bless. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, our Middle East news update with David Dolan, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Bloodshed continues unabated in Nigeria. Islamic State militants preyed upon a Christian village in northeast Nigeria on Tuesday, killing eight. On Thursday, Fulani herdsmen attacked believers in a nearby state, also killing eight. World Mission's Greg Kelly says there's at least one silver lining to government inaction and Islamist violence. Muslims who are opposed to the gospel now want to know more about Jesus. Ask God to protect gospel workers in Nigeria. Meanwhile, Christianity is growing in East Africa, even secretly in places like Somalia and Sudan. The Program for Theological Education by Extension, or PTEE, helps believers know Christ and make disciples. A believer will call Abraham says one of the ministry's all-star students is reaching refugees for Christ. PTEE courses help this young woman grow deep faith roots so she can withstand persecution and help others do the same. Read her full story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of biblical prophecy. Well, we have reached the part of the program where we have our Middle East news update. And to do that this week, we have our usual guest, Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you for joining us today. Glad to do it, Rick. David, the story that dominates the headlines today is about the tragic death of an Al Jazeera journalist during an IDF raid. Could you talk about this story? Well, Rick, I actually had uh, met her during the second Palestinian uprising soon after she started working for Al Jazeera, the big uh, Arab uh, satellite network that's very popular in the entire Arab world. I would say she was probably the best-known Palestinian journalist uh, in the region. And she stuck out, of course, because she was a she. There were very few female uh, war reporters uh, covering the uprising and all of that, but she was born in Bethlehem, raised in East Jerusalem. She went to a Catholic school there, so she was a Palestinian Christian, and uh, but very hard on Israel in her reports, uh, very critical of Israel in her tweets and all that sort of thing, but considered to be a pretty good journalist. And whenever she was in conflict, an area where, you know, they knew there was going to be conflict, which was the case 
earlier this week in Denim, where IDF soldiers uh, were going in to try to ferret out some terror cells that were connected to some of the terror attacks. We've now had six terror attacks in the last uh, six weeks or so, uh, and 17 people dead, of course, three fathers killed last week uh, at the end of Independence Day in an axe attack that was called for by uh, the head of Hamas in the Gaza Strip called upon Arabs to go out and get axes and, and slaughter people. And that's what happened. Three fathers, 16 children left. But she knew this was a, going to be a, you know, a scene of conflict. So she and two colleagues, one male, one female, uh, went there early in the morning. And they always wore in those situations blue vests. I've seen her in them that very loudly say press in white uh, on the front and the back. All three of them had those on, and uh, she was shot in the head, and uh, immediately, uh, she didn't die immediately, but pretty soon afterwards, uh, the male reporter was shot in the back, and the uh, third wasn't shot, and they were near some bushes and trees, so it was kind of hard to see what was going on. Immediately, the Arab world, the Palestinians, Al Jazeera, the foreign minister of Qatar, where that uh, news network is based, um, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the PA, on and on, Hanan Ashrawi, my <laughs> nemesis, Palestinian uh, reporter, uh, parliament member, I should say, who immediately tweeted out that she was shot and murdered by Israeli occupation army forces. Well, the truth is, we don't know who shot her because there was a firefight going on. The Palestinians were shooting uh, from inside some buildings at the Israelis that were trying to get into the area, and bullets were flying. And what the Israelis have said since then is, Let's get the bullet and look at it. We can tell immediately if it's an Israeli army-issued bullet or if it's a Palestinian bullet. Then they use totally different weapons. Um, that would tell. And also they wanted an autopsy on her body so that they could see the direction that the bullet entered her skull, etc. And that would give a further indication which side had shot her. Um, the Israeli army pointed out that uh, all of the soldiers, and I know this firsthand, I've been at some of these uh, briefing sessions with them, uh, they're always reminded, don't harm any journalists, be very careful not to. If you see them, don't shoot, even if there are other legitimate reasons to shoot in that area, don't. If you spot the press is right there, et cetera. And um, the Israeli leaders, uh, Prime Minister Bennett and, and uh, yeah, Defense Minister Gantz and others said, give us a look at the bullet. We, let's do a joint examination, uh, the PA and us, and let's do a joint autopsy. Well, the autopsy's out because she was buried on Thursday in uh, East Jerusalem. So she's uh, under the ground now. No way of seeing. And the Palestinians continue to refuse to let Israel see the bullet. And that's, of course, raising strong suspicions on the Israeli side that it wasn't one of their uh, soldiers that did this. Uh, why would the Palestinians not bring that evidence uh, fully to light immediately, frankly, if, um, if it was clearly the case? But uh, the conclusion is been drawn, and Hamas, and Islamic Jihad, and Hezbollah, and Lebanon, and everybody's calling for stepped-up attacks upon Israel as a result. So Israel was tried and hung for this uh, before the evidence was even um, examined, and pretty much uh, won't be examined if the PA keeps the bullet 
and won't let Israel see it. So it's a tragic situation. She was very well uh, respected in uh, not just the Arab world, but in the uh, journalist world. She was uh, pretty fair in her reports for being a Palestinian, uh, I would say. She tried to give the other uh, views as well at times, at least. And uh, yet she was a nationalist Palestinian, and that came through as well, but very popular. And her death uh, definitely has raised tensions in the entire region. And in fact, there's been uh, some clashes in that area since then. Well, why that unfortunate situation is playing out, there's another story that is in coming out of Israel, and that is that the Israeli government has approved 4,000 new housing units in what they would call the settlement area. That's not going to make the situation any less tense, is it? Well, no, Rick, but it has to be pointed out it's 400 units. Most of those are apartments that will be in in buildings. They're going to add about 10 apartment buildings to two existing Israeli communities that are very close to the green line to Israel proper in areas that are part of area C, which Israel controls completely as part of the Oslo two accords signed in 1995, the follow-up to the 93 original accord, which uh, divided uh, Judea and Samaria, the West Bank into three parts, area A, totally under uh, Arab control, a PA control, that's Bethlehem, that's down around Hebron, that's in the north, the cities up there, Nablus and uh, Janine, where this, uh, this took place. And then uh, down in the Jordan Valley, the PA has uh, half of that under its sole control, Area B's shared control between Israelis and Palestinians, shared security control, where there are some Jewish communities and some Arab communities. And Area C is these mostly Jewish areas. Um, There's some Palestinians there too, but mostly Jewish areas. So they're just building a few new apartment buildings in existing communities. I mean, you know, it's not uh, that big a deal, but the State Department immediately condemned it in Washington. Uh, President Biden, um, uh, you know, the White House made a statement against it. Uh, He was in Israel in 2010 visiting as vice president uh, when uh, it was leaked that a thousand new units were going up and he made a strong anti-Israel statement at the time and et cetera. So he's really against this. Uh, but uh, it's not that big a deal. But, uh, Rick, where it may have the biggest impact is in the tottering coalition. Well, David, as you combine these two stories, the killing of the journalist and then also these uh, 4,000 new housing units, uh, it seems like we're on an inevitable escalation uh, of tension in the region. Do you see things getting worse or do you think that there's still a possibility that things could come under control? Well, so far, it's just been getting worse, pretty much, Rick. I mean, we haven't had a spate of attacks, terror attacks like this since the second uprising, really, against uh, six major attacks in, uh, you know, just the last six, seven weeks. And, of course, we've had stepped up trouble in Jerusalem again, and it's calmed down a little bit after Ramadan passed, but uh, every uh, week is another opportunity for that to flare. And we've had, uh, of course, IDF raids like the one in Janine, where they're going after cells that they believe are connected to these terror attacks and planned terror assaults. And the fact that uh, half of those attacks, uh, Rick, three out of the six were carried out by Israeli Arabs. They're members of Israel. They're citizens of Israel. 
and yet they're killing their fellow Jewish Israelis in these terrible attacks. So um, it doesn't look good. And of course, Hamas has the rockets and Hezbollah has the rockets. And there's a, a growing sense that maybe Iran is just waiting for the order from Moscow and Beijing to get involved in a war with Israel to further um, you know, divert the attention of the West and of the United States in particular away from Ukraine. So there's a lot uh, of nervousness going on. We also had reports this week that Russian forces are being withdrawn from Syria for the most part to go and fight in Ukraine along with some Syrian soldiers, and they're turning over their outposts to who? Iran and Hezbollah. So the whole scene in the region looks like, as I said earlier, that it's moving towards conflict. And it's in the hands of the Lord, but um, it has all the signs that I've been for the previous two uprisings of being at the very least a third uprising, if not a, a fuller war with Iran involved, etc. Well, David, Scripture tells us to pray for the peace of Israel, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We certainly should be doing that now. Thank you so much for your insight. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, I'm always blessed to do it, Rick. God bless. We're going to take a break right now on Prophecy Today, but when we come back, we're going to talk with Winky Madad. Stay tuned right here on Prophecy Today Radio. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy D. Young Jr. and my brother Rick and I, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. This weekend, I'm in Franklin, New Hampshire at the Hope Community Church doing a prophecy conference on the book of Joel. Last night, we had a great service, and we encourage you, if you'd like to come out, come out tonight. Well, we'll be talking about the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? The definition of the day of the Lord, any time when God intercedes with the affairs of man on earth. And the day of the Lord is in the future. Well, Rick, one of the things that we focus on are the Jewish people. And it's always great to have Winky Madad join with us on our program. Winky Madad joins us today. He's a frequent contributor to the program, and he's an American-born Israeli journalist and author who lives in the area of Judea and Samaria. Winky, thank you for joining us today. Again, thank you very much for having me on. Well, the first thing I would like to talk about, Winky, is the fact that the country of Jordan has asked for an increased role or presence on the Temple Mount there in the city of Jerusalem. I'm just wondering if you could comment on what their motivation for that request was and why it was denied. Well, you have to understand that Israel accepts 
that the administration of the internal, for lack of a better word, affairs that go on inside the Temple Mount, Jordan is the, shall we say, the supervisor or the administrator. They call themselves the custodian, and I, I don't want to get into that. I, I think maybe I perhaps touched on it in the past about where it comes from. But Israel and Jordan have agreed that they administer the site, but Israel provides all the security overall, and the so-called status quo, which we've talked about many times, is that Jews and Christians and other non-Muslims can visit. Unfortunately, they're only viewed as tourists, and therefore to pray in a demonstrative manner is prohibited. We've reached a stage where if you pray very quietly without moving and, and not ostentatiously, uh, we can get by with that. But they're always on, on, the, on, the, on the lookout for that. Now, in order to control Jerusalem and not have it go to the waqf of Hamas or the PA too much, Jordan sinks in money. All right. Everybody knows he who controls the purse basically runs the show. So Jordan says, we will pay all the salaries. We will pay for upkeep. We will pay for electricity. I don't know. But if you can imagine running a, I presume, a mega church or something like that, someone has to pay the bills. And when, he, when you do that, you sort of are a little bit more attentive to their requests or, uh, or, or designs, shall we say. And this is one way in which Jordan controls the Temple Mount. Now, in the past, there have been more waqf gods added on. But Israel has always demanded that the names be given to Israel before they are appointed. So we can find out if they have any jail record, maybe, or they've been in some other trouble before. Because it's a very sensitive site. And we don't want bullies up there who will just make provocation. And especially... Over the past, what, month or two, we've seen a lot of uh, uh, violence up there. And it's because, for example, the Waf gods allow kids to stay in all night, bring in rocks uh, and firecrackers and, and fireworks and all sorts of things like that. And things get out of hand. We don't need Waf gods who don't contribute to the public water. That's what it's all about. Well, I know that King Abdullah of Jordan met with President Biden this week, and I'm sure that this subject came up. In fact, Jordan's foreign minister says that Jerusalem's holy sites are on occupied Palestinian land. Well, what are the repercussions of that type of thinking? Well, we, we, that's a, a long struggle that we have. And I, from where President Biden is coming and his support from, shall we say, the more liberal leftist side of the Democratic Party, not like in the past, if I may make that point, uh, is not very sympathetic to Israel in the sense of, do we control Jerusalem properly? Don't forget, we had that horrendous uh, UN resolution a couple of years ago, which President uh, uh, Obama let through by not stopping it, voting against it, that basically said that the Temple Mount is not the Temple Mount. It's the Haram al-Sharif. And it's part of the settlements in Jerusalem is occupied. And uh, I understand that his President Biden's upcoming trip is also perhaps going to cause trouble 
about making a statement like going to a Arab hospital without Israeli escort, although how he's going to get out of there alive, I don't know, in order to stress that. So we are um, not only fighting in a certain sense or struggling against the Jordanian claims to change the status quo, but we have a president in office who's a, a radical on this issue, and it's not making things any easier for Israel. Well, Winky, as we're looking at President Biden's view of the Middle East and Israel in particular, let's look at another news story that came out this week. And that view is that 4,000 new settlements have been approved by the Israeli government in the area that we would call Judea and Samaria, but that would be occupied territory. Can you tell us about this and maybe comment on uh, President Biden's obsession against the the quote-unquote settlements? Well, first of all, let's correct that. We don't want a headline that Israel is setting up 4,000 settlements. We're talking about 4,000 residences or homes in old and new communities of Jews in Judea and Samaria, almost 99.9% of which has been going through the pipeline of bureaucracy, of zoning, of, of electricity, of infrastructure, and is just waiting for the final stamp. So this is nothing new. It's not as if we're saying, you know, we're going to set up something completely new. These things have been around for years. Some of them, in fact, exist already, but are not officially authorized. So uh, in order to get it through, I understand, Mr. Bennett is also saying that Arabs in Area C uh, will also be permitted construction. And this is by itself is going to cause a lot of trouble within the coalition and in the political sphere here, because, see, Area C even according to Bennett, was supposed to be completely Israel. We gave over A, uh, B is a little bit shared, but C is all ours, and uh, that was going to be the compromise. Uh, but it's not working out that way, I think, and uh, so we still have that issue going on. So why Biden has been for years against it, I even argued with Menachem Begin way back, and I think it was about 81 or something like that, 80, 81, about uh, why the, uh, the settlements, quote-unquote, and in fact, Begin, I think, told them, don't bang on the table when you talk to me uh, about the issue. Tables are made for writing, not for banging. So, uh, I mean, we're talking about now 40 years of Biden basically being in, in, in contentiousness with Israel over this issue. Well, Winky, thank you very much for clarifying what I said there, slip of the tongue, but... Uh, it brings up a good point that we do need to be very conscientious as to where we get our news, and we need to confirm and verify our news. There's a lot of things that are being said, and you need to look a little bit deeper. And that definitely goes uh, along with the final story that I'd like to get you to talk about, and we spoke about this with Dave Dolan a little bit earlier as well, but it's the tragic story of the Al Jazeera journalist that was shot in an IDF raid. Uh, at this point, there has been no official investigation to determine responsibility for this journalist's death. Can you tell us a little bit about this story? Well, the first thing I want to say is I hope everybody's paying attention uh, that in 90% of the media, Israel is already guilty. We do not have the results mm -hmm. of the post-mortem. Uh, Israel has not been able to check ballistically the uh, bullet with any rifle that may have been fired by soldiers. And Israel has been very willing to say it's quite possible that in the crossfire and in exchange of fire, 
it could have happened, but we don't know. And therefore, everybody should say, you know, for people who do follow the news, there's always the alleged or the supposed or the presumed, you know, that is used in other spheres. When it comes to Israel, we have no doubt that Israel is guilty. And I don't like to hear that. And I hope the people listening have opened enough minds to say, wait a second, let's take it easy and find out what's going on. That's number one. Secondly, the Al Jazeera network has over the past decade or so lost 20 journalists. And there have been over 20 journalists in Russia covering the Ukrainian-Russian thing that have uh, been killed in, in crossfire. So it's, it's not nothing out of the ordinary to presume that Israel assassinated her or specifically targeted a journalist when that is, hasn't happened at all over the past 40 or 50 years or so uh, is really outlandish. And the unwillingness of the Palestinian Authority to share uh, its findings or the uh, forensic evidence, so what are they hiding? And the third point is Israel is really very sorry that she died. We do not gain anything in, in the death of a very high-profile Al Jazeera journalist. First of all, Al Jazeera, of course, is a Qatari uh, from Qatar uh, outlet, and it's not very pro-Israel, to say the least. And it's the uh, Sheikh of Qatar who keeps funding Hamas in Gaza, which, which is another story. But I just want you know, to keep it out there. So the whole issue is complex. If you think it's very easy and very simplistic, you're going to make a wrong decision. You're going to believe the wrong side. Sit back, wait for the proof, for the details. Nothing is going to happen if a couple of days pass and then we find out exactly what happened. But as you pointed out, if you want to incite, if you want to blame, if you want to point the finger, that side of the Palestinian Authority is very adept at that, and that's their mode of, of activity. And uh, we're very sorry for that frame of, uh, of events in which Israel is immediately guilty with no doubt. Well, Winky, I think it could be a theme of this interview uh, that when you do hear news, especially coming out of Israel, especially coming out of the Middle East, make sure that you double check it. Make sure that you have a trusted news source because many people have many different agendas. Well, we trust you as a news source in Israel. We thank you for the service you provide to our people, to our listeners, Winky, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you for having me on and goodbye to you. And our listeners. Well, there's so much happening in Israel, and that's why we need Israel Madad, Winky Madad, to keep us updated on what's happening on the ground, um, both in the religious aspect of what's taking place and, and really the government, Israel, and the Jewish people as we follow along. We realize that God does have a program for the Jewish people. He's not finished with them yet, and he still um, is moving. And, and as we are watching the world as it's unfolding before us, the, the events that are unfolding, uh, it does help us to understand that we're getting closer to the rapture. This last week, I started thinking about, as I was watching the news, and I'm sure you're with me. If you're one of those people that watch the news, you have a worldview. I think it's important to have a biblical worldview. And even more, I think it's important that you have a prophetic biblical worldview. 
doing that, I was thinking, what is going on with America? And I know this. I mean, it's more of a rhetorical question I'm asking myself. But I thought it would be good to bring on our next guest, and he's no stranger to the program, Dr. Richard Schmidt. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Schmidt. Well, good morning, Dr. <laughs> Young, and it's uh, great to be with you once again. It is. It is. Now, your background as a, a sheriff, of Milwaukee County. For many years, you were a part of that uh, organization doing that, uh, working in law enforcement, and uh, you ran for office. Uh, you've, you've been in politics. Uh, you're a pastor of a church. And to me, you're one of the people that I like to talk to when it comes to this because you have a well-rounded from every aspect of why the world is acting as it is, specifically why America is acting as it is. And as a matter of fact, I know that, uh, you know, I kind of like it and I like what you titled in our in our notes as we were putting this together, American Trends and Catastrophic Concerns. That's a great title for where we are right now. And as we look at this, Dr. Schmidt, what are your thoughts concerning the way that we are going in America? All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me again. But here is the trend that we're seeing America go on. And if anyone is watching the news, seeing the current trends, we're having a massive meltdown in America right now. We're seeing multiple different things, which we'll talk about in a moment, that are taking place, things that are unprecedented in America. We're watching a massive landslide take place uh, from the administration that's currently in place. So there are major, major warning signs, things that, by the way, fit right into the prophetic picture, which we'll talk about. But we're seeing a massive decline in America in multiple levels, and it's very troublesome. Yes, and uh, when you see this, it just makes you question what really is happening to us as Americans and as a country that founded itself or calls itself a Christian nation. And I think you would agree with me. We are no longer uh, able to really call ourselves uh, a Christian nation in the sense of a Bible-believing, founded on the, the, the Word of God nation. Well, one of the things that, uh, one of the few things I agreed with President Obama on was when he made the statement while he was office that we are now in a post-Christian era. Mm. Never in the history of America have we been in this position before. Uh, Pew Research had come out that uh, for the first time a couple of years ago in history, we're below a 50% mark where people actually identify as Christians. So the Word of God is being pushed back, our principles are being pushed back, and uh, Christianity is, beyond a shadow of a doubt, being severely attacked uh, by those who don't hold to a biblical worldview. Well, let's take a look at the LGBTQ community piggybacking off of the Roe versus Wade and, and worried about their rights being attacked. There's another massive issue that takes place. So Everybody that, again, that watches the news is very familiar with the fact that Chicago has an off-the-charts crime rate right now. Murders are horrific. Violence is horrific. People aren't safe in their own neighborhoods. That mayor, if you will, uh, came out and made this statement. Uh, uh, this is it. According to her, uh, the mayor of Chicago, she basically said that uh, the LGBT community, of which she is part, need a call to arms. Mm -hmm. Now, by definition, what does that mean? It means literally you pull out the guns and go to war, if you will. Uh, this is, uh, again, how a mayor of a city that's in that horrific a shape could even 
possibly think of doing something like that is absolutely unconscionable. So, and and what's interesting, uh, Jimmy, is that uh, uh, the Roe v. Wade, if indeed it's overturned, it really does not affect a whole lot because every single state in the union, mm. if they choose, they can put uh, abortion as as a legalized thing. Now, some may take longer than others, but it's just it, again, it's this leftist violent reaction always uh, going to the nth degree to try and make a point and causing severe damage and uh, folks that are getting injured because of it. I would say it's because we have pulled prayer and the Bible out of the lives of people, and this is what's causing these government officials and and people to make these decisions uh, as to how they live their lives. Well, 2 Chronicles 7.14 given to literally the Jewish people by God after they had built the second temple. He made it very clear to his people, specifically the Jews at that time, if uh, you go into sin, if things aren't going in the right direction, four things I want you to do. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, uh, seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways, then he'll heal their land. Well, I think those principles are very applicable to today. God's people, prayer meetings are almost non-existent. When they are, there's a few people that show up. There's no passion, if you will, for prayer. Uh, If you will, getting out and evangelizing our communities is at an all-time low. Uh, We can blame it on COVID or whatever, but it's we're just complacent. We're status quo. We're not out there doing what God has called us to do. And uh, does Satan have a part in this? Of course he does. He's the god of this world, Second Corinthians 4, four. So we do have a, a, a massive enemy in the devil and his army, but we need to uh, take up our biblical, not, not literal arms, but our Bible, get back out there, start praying, and uh, go out and tell folks the greatest news ever given to mankind, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Mm. Uh, you, before we went on the air, you told me about a late-breaking story with Michelle Bachman and the World Health Organization. Uh, give us the late-breaking news on that, because that, that could really affect all of us as to how we live our lives. Well, I did listen to Michelle Bachman's interview uh, with Steve Bannon. I think I'm, I'm, I don't want to say the station. I'm not sure what it was. But here's basically the headline, World Health Organization in Geneva, Switzerland, Biden administration providing amendments suggesting that WHO or the World Health Organization has decision-making authority on all major health concerns worldwide, another platform for global government. Uh, uh, One more line that uh, I contacted her office, I asked for the documentation on this because I I never like to do anything without documentation. Uh, Just these two sentences, please take seriously the severity of the existential threat to everything free people hold dear. Mm. Do everything in your power to pass this report on others and to find ways to communicate with and to influence people to stop empowering the World Health Organization to take over our, catch this, national sovereignty and freedom. Mm. On May 20, uh, this month, on the 22nd of the 28th, the World Health Organization will meet. It is stated that uh, our administration uh, from the White House submitted documents basically saying whatever the World Health Organization states as far as what our health policy should be, that we will basically, according to this amendment, if indeed it gets passed, we're basically saying you take over, tell us when uh, there's major issues, how we should run America's health system. 
that is globalism in its worst fashion when you turn that over. The other major part of that is, uh, according to uh, Michelle Bachman's uh, uh, report, that this major um, World Health Organization is run by the China Communist Party, or at least they have a massive influence mm-hmm. in it. That's exactly what we don't want here in America. We want to maintain, if you will, our national sovereignty, and this is one more step going towards that uh, final world government that the Antichrist will invoke. Yes, I've seen, uh, I've been watching your, uh, you have a prophecy focus program that you do and uh, every week on Wednesday night. And I've watched it. You've been talking about socialism and the rise leading to uh, government dependence. Uh, You've also talked a little bit about the government predicts COVID resurgence in September, setting the stage for uncontrolled drop-off and mail-in ballots. I mean, here we go again. Uh, But let's look at it from this point of view, Dr. Schmidt. We're not the first in history to suffer persecution as a nation, as a uh, a body of uh, people. And we've been a nation for some 200-plus years. Uh, There are early Christians went through this in Rome. Uh, And wouldn't you say that this is a system that it's a systematic way of thinking that is setting up for the beast in Revelation chapter 13? Well, absolutely. What we're seeing are, and as your dad often says, and as you say now, the stage is being set for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. So by no means are we surprised by what's taking place as Christians. We anticipate this happening. We're not happy about it. We have to deal with it. And, of course, as always, we look for Christ to come uh, and take us out of here before, of course, the tribulation period starts. But as you stated, Jimmy, in Revelation chapter 13 specifically, we'll just maybe mention two verses. In uh, Revelation 13, the entire chapter is about the one-world system which the Antichrist will invoke, a one-world government, a one-world economy, and a one-world religion. In verse 4, Revelation 13, uh, after the Antichrist gets power, it it basically says, which is unbelievable, that the, the people will worship the dragon or Satan who gave authority to the beast, which is the Antichrist, and they worship the beast or the Antichrist, saying, who is like the beast? Worshiped him, one world religion. Verse 7, it was granted to him to make war with the saints, speaking of the Antichrist, and overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Mm. One world government. Verse 17, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark on the name of the beast or the number of his name. No one can buy. No economy. One world system. One world economy. One world government. One world religion. That is exactly what Satan is being allowed, again, as the small g god of this world, Second Corinthians 4, 4, to set up this one world system, and it's popping right along on all cylinders towards that end. I think so. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Dr. Schmidt, uh, how should we as Christians be living our life today? Knowing all this, knowing this information, we see it, we're faced with it every day. How should we be living our lives Well, let's go back to our first statement. If my people, which are called by my name, will do what? It's time to humble ourselves. It's time to get back in church. It's time to pray. Stop staying home. Get back in the church. Meet with God's people. Get rallied up. Get prayed up. Get uh, uh, Bible studies, if you will, back in gear. Understand biblical prophecy. 
There is nothing more important right now, and people don't like prophecy in many churches. And Jimmy, as you well know, as a as a person who travels this country preaching prophecy and internationally as well, if people don't understand what's coming, they have no way to react to it. Mm. We need people like you. We need churches to say, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, would you come to my church and preach on prophecy? And I do the same thing, and I'm more than willing to go to other churches as my schedule permits. We need prophecy back in the headlines because that's exactly where we're headed. Pray, read your Bible, study prophecy, understand what's coming, and then get out and tell folks again the gospel, the greatest news ever given to mankind, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, anyone who will believe in him, Jesus Christ, wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Amen, amen. Dr. Schmidt, give us your website again where we can find and watch some of your teachings that you're doing on socialism and as you uh, focus on Bible prophecy. Uh, the easiest one, which uh, it's basically the the acronym for Union Grove Baptist Church. So it's my UGBC, the acronym for Union Grove Baptist Church. So my M-Y-U-G-B-C dot com. Go to the media section. Everything is there. Oh, great. Thank you, Dr. Schmidt. So very important. And yes, I encourage, along with you, everyone, folks, Get back into the Word. Get back into church. Get back into fellowship. Getting together with other believers so that you can stay strong, so that you can fight against uh, Satan and uh, the principalities of the air on uh, on this earth right now as he is setting up his system. God does have a plan. And when that rapture takes place, we'll all be taken out of here and then begins the last days of God's plan before his return to the earth. Thank you, Dr. Schmidt. Appreciate it. I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, this weekend, I'm in Franklin, New Hampshire at Hope Community Church. Uh, I started out last night teaching the Word of God, teaching the trio of triplets, Rick. And tonight, I'll be focusing more on the book of Joel, the day of the Lord. And specifically tomorrow, on Sunday morning, I'll be looking at how God, after he has disciplined his chosen people, how he rewards them with a kingdom, the millennial kingdom in the future. And that's what we'll be looking at this week. We do have on our website, Rick, many items that we can provide for our folks that listen to us each week and that want to study Bible prophecy. That's right, Jimmy. And in fact, we also do have a series on Joel, and uh, you can get that at our website, prophecytoday.com. We have many different uh, series over different books of the Bible and on different topics, and most of them are five to six hours long. So if you go to our website, prophecytoday.com, go to our store, not only will you be learning Bible prophecy, you will also be supporting the ministry of Prophecy Today. And we thank you in advance for uh, purchasing or helping out our ministry to carry it on. Well, this is a time for the Legacy Series, and this week we're continuing with our Alpha and Omega. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung is teaching, and this week we'll start in Genesis chapter 6. And this is a very controversial uh, topic. We're talking about the sons of God and the daughters of men. 
and I realize it's it's uh, it's controversial, but I do think that you will see how Satan's subtle strategy that began with that first prophecy of the Messiah in Genesis chapter three verse fifteen, uh, how Satan put his plan together to stop that from ever happening. Here's Dr. Jimmy DeYoung with the Legacy series. Let's see what the word says. Chapter six, verse one. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God, let me define that phrase, sons of God. It's defined over in the book of Job chapter 38 verse 7 as an angel. It's defined in Job chapters 1 and 2 as angels. The son of God here is an angel, not the son of Seth, the son of God. An angel, to be consistent with your hermeneutic, okay? That the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that's flesh women, that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose, given unto marriage. That's what Jesus said, Matthew 24, Luke 17. Let's go over here to verse 4. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, and were of old men of renown. Satan's malicious contamination was that he would contaminate the bloodline. So a pure virgin woman could not bring forth the Messiah. And so he sent his angels to have sexual relationship with women. If you've read the book of Genesis chapter 18, Jesus Christ appears to Abraham in a pre-incarnate appearance, spends time with him. There's a couple of angels with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ goes back to heaven. Those two angels go over to Sodom. When they walk into Sodom, as they walk into Sodom, out comes Lot and say, Hey, you men, come here with me. Come to my house. I want to wash your feet. That's a Middle East tradition. Come here. Come into my home. I'll wash your feet. And my wife will fix us a delicious meal. Those were angels. And the text called them men. Angels in the forms of men. Those were two men who came, went into the house of light. Those were men. And angels in the forms of men who ate food, who appropriated a capability of being honored by their feet being washed. Don't you remember what Jesus Christ said to the lady who had seven husbands? And one of the disciples said, well, which one's going to be our husband in heaven? And Jesus said to her and the disciples, there's not going to be a relationship between husband and wife in heaven. They'll be like the angels in heaven. Yeah, I remember that statement. But what does that have to do with what I'm talking about? He's talking about in heaven. I'm talking about on earth. You don't use that text to prove that a man and a woman can't have a sexual relationship on earth, do you? Just in heaven. So why say the angels can't have a sexual relationship on earth? So don't use that text. Well, God put them in prison. 200 million of them in prison for having sex with women. Where do you get that from? 2 Peter chapter 2. Go back to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 2, 4. For God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them into hell, the abyss, the bottomless pit, the tartarus, 
which is the Greek here, the Totoris. And he delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And he spared not the old world, but saved Noah and the eight person, a preacher of righteousness. In connection, he's taking these evil angels, putting them in the Totoris, the lowest part of hell, the abyss, I believe someplace in outer space, and I'll show that to you in just a moment. You say, what are you talking about? I thought angels were out. They're, they're not bounded. Well, there are evil angels out. I'm not shocked about that. Evil angels are attacking all the time. We better be aware of that. Remember in the times of Jesus Christ, what was most of his ministry? Casting out demons. Much of his ministry. You know what a demon is? An evil angel takes up habitation in a human body. That's a demon. And so he was dealing with that. Those are evil angels. But these are a group of 200 million evil angels that were put aside waiting for that day of judgment to come. Go to the book of Jude, the book just before the book of Revelation. The book of Jude, look at verse 6 with me. And the angels which kept not their first estate, that was around the throne of God, likely in the Garden of Eden, but left their own habitation, that would have been the heavenlies, he hath reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness unto the judgment of that great day. Notice verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner. In like manner to what? Well, how they acted in Sodom and Gomorrah is exactly what the evil angels did. In like manner, giving themselves over to fornication. And going after strange flesh and setting forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, if this didn't happen in Genesis 6, tell me when evil angels had fornication as a part of their activities. Fornication. We call fornication today when a couple, man and a woman who are not married, have a sexual relationship. We call adultery when married people, maybe not with their same mate, their mate, but they with another person's mate have a sexual relationship. God calls it fornication. And fornication is any sexual activity that God forbids. Now when did angels do that? In Genesis chapter 6. And God said, I'm going to wipe out one billion of you. Everybody except eight souls are going to be left on the earth. Everybody else will be wiped out. So the reason for the flood, evil, angelic activity, Satan's malicious contamination. Go back to chapter 6. I want to show you one more thing. Look at the ark, starting here in verse 14 of chapter 6. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms that shall thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, that's 450 feet. The breadth of it shall be 50 cubits, that's 75 feet. And uh, the height of it shall be 30 cubits, that's 45 feet. That's how large the ark was. 57,000 square feet. 1.5 million cubic feet. The size of 20 basketball courts. The size of 337 boxcars on a train. I think you could put a couple of animals in there. 
How about two of each kind? Well, let's see. Let's talk about the animals. Go here and let's see what it says about the animals, starting in verse 19. And every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shall thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. And they shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing on the earth after his kind. Now that phrase, after his kind, is very interesting. They did not have 37 varieties of dogs. They had two dogs, a male and a female. And you go with two dogs, you know, you can interact and get all kinds. Heinz 57 dogs are the best dogs anyway. So two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. They're going to come in the ark. Now notice what's going to happen. Verse 21. And thou shalt take them and uh, enough food to feed them and yourself. It says, and take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it unto thee, and it shall be food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And so he gathers up food. Now, he didn't have to gather up a lot of food. He had to gather up food. By the way, the time, as you study chapter 7 and chapter 8, put all the numbers together, 377 days, one year and 12 days. It's how long they would be in the ark. And so he got enough food in there to feed his family. 377 days. And he got enough food in there to feed the animals. About two days. Well, how do you know that? Why would they not eat for the next 375 days? Well, let me tell you why. They had a delicious meal. He fed them as much as they could take. They pigged out. Not to use a pun. They pigged out with all they could eat. And then they went to sleep, and they hibernated for that more than a year. How do you know that, man? I read the eighth chapter. All those that were going in two by two came out when the door opened after everything was dry two by two. If they hadn't gone in there, had a delicious meal, and gone to sleep, when that door to the ark opened up, 10,000 rabbits would have come out. Have to read in between the lines, of course, but read it. You see what was going on? Read it. It's dynamite. It was a worldwide flood. Have you got chapter 7? Go here to verse 20. Well, go start in 19. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth and all the high hills that were before the whole heaven. Under the whole heaven. You get that? Under the whole heaven. All the high hills under the whole heaven were covered 15 cubits. That's 22 and a half feet. 15 cubits upward did the water prevail and the mountains were covered. Every high hill, the highest hill on the earth, whatever it was at that time. And I don't believe there were a lot of high hills. But whatever the highest hill was at that time, the water was 22 and a half feet above it. It was a worldwide flood. That's the flood, the reality of the flood, the reason for the flood. Angelic sexual activity with women. Let me show you the retribution from the flood. Go to the book of Revelation. Let me remind you over here, this first microphone stand represents the rapture of the church. Jesus shouts, archangel shouts, trumpet of God sounds, and we're out of here to be with him. The rapture, the next activity to take place. And then after that's going to be a seven-year period of time. Seven years of terrible holocaust. Holocaust on the face of the earth. Half of the earth's population, 3.5 billion people, are going to be killed. Plus many, many more will come to death. The Bible talks about in the book of Zechariah, chapter 13 and verse 8. 
Two out of every three Jews will be killed. Listen, the worst Holocaust yet to take place on the earth happened 65 years ago in World War II when Adolf Hitler killed six million people, six Jewish million people, because he was trying to set up a kingdom, false doctrine leading to that. By the way, that was one-third of the Earth's Jewish population at that time. In World War II, there were 18 million Jews. He killed 6 million of them. That left 12 million. We have today approximately 12.5 million Jews upon the Earth. The next Holocaust will kill two out of every three. That's 8 million-plus Jews yet to be killed. And it's all a result. And what happens from that flood activity? The retribution from the flood. Evil angels playing a key role to kill Jewish people. The judgment of the flood was because of evil angels committing fornication. God did preserve eight people, Noah and his family, in order for the Messiah to be born to a young Jewish girl. However, those evil angels will be kept in prison until released upon the earth to kill the Jewish people. The worst holocaust yet to come, as recorded in Revelation chapters 9 and 12. Well, we've got to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. I'm Leeds Kramer with Mission Network News. Bloodshed continues unabated in Nigeria. Islamic State militants preyed upon a Christian village in northeast Nigeria on Tuesday, killing eight. On Thursday, Fulani herdsmen attacked believers in a nearby state, also killing eight. World Mission's Greg Kelly says there's at least one silver lining to government inaction and Islamist violence. Muslims who are opposed to the gospel now want to know more about Jesus. Ask God to protect gospel workers in Nigeria. Meanwhile, Christianity is growing in East Africa, even secretly in places like Somalia and Sudan. The Program for Theological Education by Extension, or PTEE, helps believers know Christ and make disciples. A believer will call Abraham says one of the ministry's all-star students is reaching refugees for Christ. PTEE courses help this young woman grow deep faith roots so she can withstand persecution and help others do the same. Read her full story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with my brother Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, for the last hour and a half, 
Uh, we have been looking at issues that are confronting the body of Christ, that are confronting the world, really, and, and trying to figure out what really is happening and, and why it's taking place. And this is my favorite time of the program, where we take a look at the book. Well, that's right, Jimmy. We kind of bring it all together in this segment right here, and we talk about what all of our broadcast partners have brought to the table, and then look at the scripture and find out what it says. Well, the first thing I wanted to ask you about, Jimmy, or maybe you can help explain to our listeners, we talked with Ken Timmerman, and we talked about Russia, and of course, Russia is in the news Mm -hmm. every day. And I would love for you just to remind our listeners what is meant in Ezekiel 38 when it says Gog and Magog, and that those are two words. One's a personality, one's a place. Can you talk to our listeners about that? Yes. Well, we do know that Gog is the personality, and it's mentioned there. And at this moment, that would be Vladimir Putin. Of course, Magog comes from those uh, the division of nations, the beginning of nations in Genesis chapter 10, one of those sons of Jepeth. When they left that area, the area of Babel, they went to the north of the Black and Caspian Sea. Here's something, Rick, that, that struck me. You know, we always talk about how mighty the Russian, the country of Russia, Vladimir Putin and his military, and we've talked about Ezekiel 38. But I think one of the things that we're seeing now is through this and how fast that the Russian government and the military really succumbed to you know, the little tiny nation of Ukraine that was hanging on for all of its worth, I am reminded of the fact that it's an alignment of nations because we always think that, you know, uh, Russia is going to be leading the way towards Israel. And it is true, but there's an alignment of nations led by one leader. And should that leader today, should this happen? And I believe it's going to take place in the first part of the tribulation period, perhaps within the the first month or two of the tribulation period, that seven-year period of time. It would be Vladimir Putin. But as we have talked about on this program, Vladimir Putin might not be around. But the alignment of nations that come, it's going to be Russia, it's going to be Iran, it will be Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan, it will be Turkey aligning with the king out of the north, which would be Syria and Egypt, plus the nations that are a part of the Abrahamic Accord that you talked about with David Dolan, those nations that are meeting with Israel, they're going to come out. So it is an alignment. It's not just one nation, but is led by one man, not the Antichrist. It will be led by Gog, and then those nations will come against Israel. Jimmy, if you look at what's taking place in Russia right now, it, like you said, it doesn't take much imagination to look at what's going to take place in the tribulation and then transfer mm-hmm. what's taking place in the world right now. Well, we had David Dolan on after that, and we and we spoke a lot about what's taking place in Israel with the terrorism, but we also talked about the Abraham Accords and a little bit of the peace summit. And no, Daniel 9 says that there's going to be a peace treaty on the table, but not confirmed. There is a lot of peace being talked in the Middle East, but none of it is really working right now, is it? You're absolutely right, Rick. You know, when you look at there are three peace treaties on the table right now, and it does, that word in Hebrew does say it, the Antichrist will come to confirm a peace agreement. We have the Camp David Accord, we have the Oslo Accord, and then there's the peace treaty that was signed with Jordan. 
Interestingly, all these countries are involved again right now, and they're meeting in Israel. And they will come out of a summit meeting, and they will come and they will decide that it's time to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, the map, uh, whatever you want to say. And this is where God steps in and protects the little tiny nation of Israel and the Jewish people. Winky, talk to us again about the strife that's taking place in Israel right now, the terrorism. This is something that the scriptures say is going to take place. Uh, Jerusalem specifically is going to be a cup of trembling in the future. Uh, We've talked about that so often in the past, and that's what Zechariah chapter 12 says. Um, They will become intoxicated with power. Uh, in the center of the earth, the, where the Garden of Eden is located. Yes, that's uh, where the trouble began all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. And it will be still the trouble until Jesus Christ will come back to the earth and rule and reign in the city of Jerusalem. As always, it was great to have Dr. Rich Schmidt on our program. He's a great friend of Prophecy Today, but he brought up some timely issues, issues that we're all dealing with. It seems like they're front and center in the news every day. Yes. You know, and here's the thing that I want us to understand as believers. Both Paul and Peter gave us instructions through giving instructions to the early church on how to live, what it's going to be like in these times. We do know from Matthew chapter 24 of what's going to take place during the tribulation period. But we as believers living in these last days, we are going to come into perilous times. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Deception is the number one item when you look at the end times. Uh, Satan, the master deceiver, is certainly coming on the scene. And then, of course, the time will come when they, referring to the world, people living now, will not endure sound doctrine. You know, the best way to overcome all of these things and to realize we do have the answer Um, We are to speak the love and truth. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, again, Paul's given us information. But speaking the truth in love, we need to share that life-transforming gospel. Only the gospel can transform the mind, uh, the spirit, the heart, um, and and it's so needed in our world today. I'm reminded of John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Rick, thanks so much for doing the program today with us and asking those tough questions. And, uh, you know, as we continue along, we're just trying to help the body of Christ to be prepared living in this world until the rapture takes place. And we know that that rapture could happen at any moment. When I look at the theme for today's program, I realize that we are looking at events according to how we understand Bible prophecy. I remember what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He learned that he could have complete confidence in his salvation. That the scriptures bring salvation only when one places his faith in Christ Jesus. Jimmy, as uh, Dave Dolan said earlier today, God is in control. Our study of Scripture proves that, gives me a hope and assurance, that's for sure. Until next week, we'll see you. Keep studying God's Word, understand what's taking place, and the urgency of the hour and what it means to be able to give light into a dark world. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. along with Rick. 
We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Thank you.